How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 285 of X Lapsed, where today we're going to take like a half step off the beaten path to a deep dive on a robbery. Yes, there's been a robbery in the Marvel Universe, and uh, several months ago I did talk a little bit about how uh, there was a storyline running through the Avengers all about the Phoenix, and I think I probably made some passive-aggressive comments about how... Uh, you know, it's a pretty seminal thing in X-History that Marvel just took and gave to the Avengers. And today, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We didn't discuss that uh, five- or six-part story in Avengers because, well, I tried to read it, but I couldn't recognize a single person in the book, so I thought it would be more of a disservice to try to do that. But today, we are going to start talking a little bit about the fallout to that story, and uh, we're going to kick off the miniseries Phoenix Song Echo, Number one. This had a December 2021 cover date written by Rebecca Roanhorse, art Luca Maresca, colors Carlos Lopez, letters VCs Ariana Mar, edits Brunstad Brevort Sabolski, cover price four bucks. This one went on sale October the 20th of 2021. Now we open with Echo proclaiming that she is the Phoenix and she will kill us all. From here we get our double-page spread of cred, and we get a little bit of Echo catch-up here. Now, if you're new to the character, she first appeared during the early-ish days of Daredevil Volume 2, that's the Marvel Knights launch back in 98-99, uh, and I say early-ish because it, while it was a low-numbered issue, Kevin Smith took his sweet time telling his opening story, so the volume was already a little old. Anyway, she is a deaf fighter who was raised by the Kingpin. Now, more recently, the Phoenix Force must have realized it'd be, you know, far more lucrative to associate with the Avengers than the X-Men, so this latest time that it came to Earth looking for a host, it decided to, you know, skip Krakoa altogether and go straight to the Avengers. And it came down to a fight between Echo and X-Lapsed Point One star, Namor, to see who's going to be the host here. Namor won the fight. But, you know, he is a dirty, stinking mutant, and Marvel's really got to squint, like, really hard to make them fit into the movies, so the Phoenix chose Echo anyway. So, now Echo's the host, and uh, we'll get into her story here. Now, and we must not forget, Echo is the Phoenix. We might be reminded of that a few times during the story, but uh, just in case we're not, just keep that in the back of your mind here. So, our story opens in Hell's Kitchen, where a jewelry store is being robbed. Now, why you would even have a jewelry store in Marvel's Hell's Kitchen is beyond me. Uh, I figure you almost deserve to be burgled if you're, like, that tone-deaf. Anyway, Echo appears, fights off the baddies, and even burns one to death with her phoenix fire. 
And she does that whole I am the phoenix and I'll kill you all thing and uh, unwittingly sets the entire building aflame at this point. She then hears a child crying out for help, and so she goes to try and save the kiddo who she put into harm's way in the first place. But the kid ain't feeling it, because she knows that Echo's the idiot who started the fire to begin with. As luck would have it, one half of one second later, the fire department shows up to rescue the young girl, presumably the only living, breathing human in this entire tenement. Well, okay, there are other people in the building, but nobody cares about them. From here, Maya deflames and walks down an alley. She's approached by Electra, who is now apparently Daredevil, only in a very silly-looking costume. And by silly-looking, I mean not practical, because it actually looks really cool. It's just that, I mean, there are strips of, like, fabric and sashes hanging from all over it, so probably not the most advantageous outfit for a ninja. I mean, there's a lot of things you can grab, so probably not too practical. Anyway, it's here where the dialogue really kicks me in the teeth, because... Woof. Um, now, Electra says, They call it Hell's Kitchen, but that doesn't mean you have to set the place aflame. Try saying that out loud, like I just did. Did I sound stupid? Probably. Echo replies with, Afraid of a little fire? Daredevil? Oi. Rough, rough. Though, it does remind me of the Wicked Witch of the West taunting the Scarecrow, which, I mean, that's not a bad thing. Anyway, the ladies have a contentious chat. Uh, Electra Devil calls Echo out for killing that jewel thief. And uh, at this point, Echo's uh, word balloon goes all phoenixy, and she says that the baddies deserve their fate. To which Electra asks about the little girl. And Echo takes great offense to this. Uh, she's still using the Phoenix word balloon. She uh, flames on and flies away, all the while wondering exactly what she's doing. So uh, we're going to be getting this internal struggle between Maya and the Phoenix, which, uh, you know, call me out if I'm wrong here. It just feels like we get this same exact story anytime the Phoenix comes around, right? I don't know. So we follow Echo. Who's, you know, she's flying through the sky. She's soaring across the planet here. She flies over Krakoa, gets the attention of Forge and Chamber. Then she flies over a house somewhere in the Great Plains, where we see a dude working on his motorcycle. Now, upon seeing the flaming bird girl, this fella says he's got to prepare for something. Don't worry, we, we will get there. We rejoin Echo, who's chilling with Dr. Manhattan. Okay, she's just hanging out on the moon. Her Avengers iPad starts to ring, and so she answers it. And it's the star of X of Tens, Brew. Now, he advises her that there's some Phoenix Energy hoodoo somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And since, lest we forget, she is the Phoenix, it'd probably be right up her alley to check it out. And again, I don't know if this has been clarified yet, but uh, Maya Lopez, a.k.a. Echo, is the Phoenix. She's totally the Phoenix, and, and just, just don't forget it. Okay, so Echo phoenixes on over to the island in the Pacific, and it's not the one you think it is. It's actually Easter Island, and uh, we'll explain why in just a little bit. Anyway, on the island she runs into Forge, who, you know, is totally, totally the mutant we think of anytime the phoenix comes around, right? Certainly no shoehorning here. No, sir. Anyway, he calls her attention and asks to have a chat. Now, at this point, she confuses him telling her his history with the Phoenix as mansplaining. So, like, Forge can't even explain the history that he lived through without getting clapped back? 
All right. Um, anyway, let's let's move on here. Of course, the island is Easter Island, as mentioned, and we're here because apparently this is where Echo's fight with Namor took place, and it's been like completely decimated. Anyway, Forge takes her into some Star Wars-looking wreckage to show her some film strips, and it's the history of the Phoenix, which he somehow has actual footage of. I mean, who knows? Maybe Colossus painted these from memory. It's not clear if these are films or pictures. Who knows? Who cares? Um, now, we see three scenes, and they are a planet being destroyed, and I'm guessing this is the asparagus planet being blown up. Uh, we also see Jean as Dark Phoenix, which I think maybe our artist was looking at the wrong character Bible, if character Bibles still exist at all, uh, because this looks more like Maddie Pryor and her Goblin Queen getup. And finally, the Phoenix Five from Avengers vs. X-Men. So Forge is here to uh, mansplain all of this in order to try to talk Maya into giving up the Phoenix Force. She ain't feeling it at all. And so he zaps her with his Deus Ex psionic restraint rifle, which he assumes will hold her in place. He then exits and buries the Star Wars wreckage in the dirt. But then Maya Phoenixes her way back out. She tells Forge to suck it and flies away. Forge promises that this is not over, and from the cover of the next issue, uh, we can make a pretty safe assumption that it's not. We rejoin Maya on The Res, and a sign reads that all nations are welcome here, so long as they behave. Now, this is apparently a place from the Daredevil Volume 8 Echo Vision Quest trade paperback, which is not only a mouthful, but it's also something that an editorial footnote swears we will all remember. So, hmm... That gets a footnote, but the fight with Namor that's been mentioned like a half dozen times to this point doesn't? Okay. Anyway, she is here to talk to an older gentleman called the Chief, and so she stops at a mechanic's shop to ask for directions. Out from under the car rolls, that one dude we saw working on his motorcycle a few scenes back. And, uh, well, he's got some good news, and he's got some bad news. First, he informs her that the Chief is his grandfather. But... His grandfather is very, very dead. Oh well. In any event, dude says he can help her, and he invites her over to his house later on that evening, so long as she brings a sack of potatoes and a bag of flour. Alrighty, so we jump ahead to a half hour before dinner, and Echo heads up this fella's walkway. Upon reaching the porch, she is struck with a big electrical explosion. You see, she's early. Dude wasn't expecting her just yet, so he didn't get around to disabling his ridiculous security system just yet. Now, Echo balls up some Phoenix flame, but before she can lob it, Dude pops out to invite her in for an explanation. Once inside, he formally introduces himself as River, short for Riverwalker. Now, he has the ability to move his consciousness through time along a person's ancestral line. Not to be confused with time traveling, I guess. He takes Maya by the hand and deduces that she's here to find out some answers as to why the Phoenix chose her. And, uh, well, he's got answers. It's because she's from a line of warrior women, or something. River warns that there's a shadow creature coming for her, and he will try to remove her from existence by taking out her ancestors. Maya ain't scared. After all, lest we forget, she is the Phoenix. And River's all, hey, that's all well and good. But we ain't talking about the Phoenix right now, because if this baddie takes out her family tree, she'll have never been born in the first place to become the Phoenix. And that's where we leave it. Next episode, we hop into the 2022 books with either Excalibur or Hellions. I haven't had a chance to look at the last page of the books just yet, so 
It'll be one of those two. I'm not sure which one I hope it is more, because uh, there's one I certainly want to read more, but there's also one that I would like to get out of the way first. So I guess, uh, I guess we will see. But for now, let's talk about this issue, which uh, it was all right. You know, it was okay. Uh, probably not something I'd read if I weren't a completionist, but that isn't to say it was bad. It wasn't bad at all. Uh, the dialogue, as mentioned, was kind of rough from time to time. And to me, it read as though our writer hasn't yet found their voice. You know, it feels as though there were, like, certainly things she wanted to say. And the exchanges almost sounded natural in their head, but in execution, kind of rough. Uh, that Electra Echo exchange, for example, in my opinion, was pure, unadulterated cringe. It was... Like, I got what they were going for, right? It's like, okay, Hell's Kitchen, fire, okay, that, that, that could work, that could work. And then Daredevil, fire, okay, that works too. But when you actually, like, put that into a word balloon, not great. And then there was that mansplaining bit, which I think was a scene that was written backwards. Like, they really wanted to use the term mansplaining there, and then they had to work back to have Forge do that. And, you know, I get that that is a thing that exists in the world, but this... Didn't strike me as that Forge is someone who actually lived through this You know, he is He's tight with people who were the Phoenix You know, he's lived through this So him explaining what happened Isn't him talking down to her It's him sharing his experience Maybe I'm wrong Maybe I'm wrong But it just felt like a scene that was written backwards In order to deliver that one, you know, that one word And I don't know It just felt very unnatural to me Felt very forced I like this Riverwalker guy that we met. I think he's pretty cool, but I'm not sure I'm all that excited for the direction that this mini might be headed in here. I, I have precious little interest in Echo, and I thought she was a character who worked exactly one time. You know, that first story in Daredevil was great. You know, I thought it was so creative the way they had a... Like, Daredevil's blind, she's deaf, and they still had, like, this... Incredible dance between the two of them It was just really, really cool Really well done And I feel like that's the only time Echo actually worked You know, they brought her in as Ronin And it just, to me, it just It never worked as well as the first time So, getting the vibe That we're about to head into her ancestry Doesn't exactly Doesn't exactly give me any goosebumps Though I gotta admit, I'm a little bit more worried About the next issue's scene with the X-Men at least I'm assuming there's going to be a scene with the X-Men, considering the cover of the book. Though, of course, this is current year comics, so I wouldn't bet a single dime on it actually playing out that way. What I'm not looking forward to there is the idea that maybe Jean Grey is going to give Echo her blessing in being the Phoenix, or having Jean meet the Phoenix again and being told by the Phoenix that she's no longer worthy. You know, it's annoying enough, and I mentioned this at the start of the show, that Marvel has taken one of the more seminal elements of X history, something that we still call back to probably too much. You know, the Dark Phoenix, the Phoenix Saga, we call back to that probably way too often in current year X-Men stuff here. But it is a seminal element of that history. And to just have it, like, taken away and given to the Avengers, I, I don't know that I actually want it laid out in black and white that the X-Men were never actually worthy of it. Don't know that I have a whole lot more to say at this point. Uh, you know, we are still in part one of, 
I think there are five parts in this, and uh, we will play it by ear as to how many we will actually cover here. We'll probably cover them all. I'm guessing there's going to be some sort of an X element played throughout, whether or not that's Gene or if it's Forge or whatever it's going to be. We'll, we'll probably follow this one through the end here. But overall, uh, the art here was very nice. The art, I really enjoyed the art. The story wasn't bad. Uh, the dialogue and narration do need a little bit of work, but uh, the story here... While not personally interesting to me, it works. You know, it, it definitely tells the story that it's uh, supposed to tell. And, you know, uh, not for nothing, the last time we uh, came across Rebecca Roanhorse's work, I believe, was in one of the Marvel's Voices specials. During which time, my main complaint about those Marvel's Voices uh, stories or anthologies was that we were taking these new creators and really handcuffing them, Right. They're not getting an opportunity to kind of spread their wings and tell stories that feel like stories. They're getting like a page or two of a vignette. And, you know, they are getting a credit to their uh, their writing resume or their creative resume. And Marvel gets to pat themselves on the back. But one of my main observations during those stories is that, you know, put your money where your mouth is here. You've got new creators. You've got these talented folks here just waiting in the wings for an opportunity and you give them, like, a one-page Emma Frost changing her clothes psychically story. It's like, what? How about we give people stories? So here, with Phoenix Song Echo, Rowan Horse gets the opportunity to tell an entire story. So, in my opinion, that could only be seen as a good thing. But I think that's where we will leave the discussion for today here. Let's hop into the mailbag where, I tell you what, I was so jazzed to see this this morning here. A message from Damien. Damien is back, and he says the following. Hi, Chris. I'm back again with what'll probably be my longest ever comment, as I feel I owe it to you to explain how I became X-Lapsed Lapsed. I'm a huge fan of the X-Men. I began reading U.S. comics with the Mutant Massacre, and the run from then till the first Inferno was my golden age. I would religiously read Uncanny, X-Factor, and New Mutants, and pick up every guest appearance limited series or special connected to the X-Family. I'm always trying to regain that connection. Anytime Marvel relaunches the X-Books, I pick up everything at the start, but inevitably lose interest and walk away. I've been X-lapsed on many occasions. When the Krakoan era started, I was all in. I bought and loved all of Hawks and Pox, and initially picked up every book, slowly dropping them until I was only picking up Marauders and, occasionally, X-Men. Around the same time, I'd started following the Chris and Reggie channel on Podbean after it was recommended to me by the algorithm. Thanks, AI. Wow, that's... I, I didn't know the algorithm <laughs> worked for us. Um, Damien continues... So one day, episode one of X-Lapsed appeared on my feed, and I was ready for it. It took me six episodes to start commenting, but your positive reaction made me start commenting on every episode. I would read the issue prior to listening to you, so I was sometimes out of order because I was waiting for Unlimited, but it went on for over a year. And then we came to X-Corp number two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was the next issue, so all I had to do was read it on Marvel Unlimited, then listen to your review and comment. Sounds simple, but I couldn't face it the first day, as work had been really stressful and I was tired, so I took the day off. The next day I was still tired, so I left it another day. And another. It became a millstone around my neck. I couldn't move on with X-Labs until I read that comic, and I really didn't want to. Eventually I had a day off, and I gritted my teeth and started to read it. It took me three goes to get through it. It was offensively bad. 
We've read some bad comics in the Hox Pox Docs era, but they had always contained some glimmer of an idea or a reason for existing. Even if the reason was corporate greed, there was a reason. I couldn't fathom why this was being published. A collection of unpleasant characters doing unpleasant things for no discernible reason. I was angry and disappointed. I considered cancelling my unlimited subscription, but instead I just settled for walking away from the Xbooks. Once again, I was X-lapsed. Fortunately, this coincided with you launching the Patreon, so I could still continue to support you without having to put in the work of reading all the X-books. And it's funny, uh, when, I, when I read this message, I had to go back and look at my script for X-Corp number two, because I knew I didn't like it. I didn't like any of X-Corp, really. But I wanted to see exactly what it was about this issue that was um, uh, just so bad. And boy, I really, really hated it. This was part of the Hellfire Gala, and... Uh, After my synopsis, the first line, and I think the only line of my little talking time segment was, uh, this book sucks. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I did not care for it. And I just looked at my show notes. And my show notes, they vary in length. Uh, You know, the stuff that I upload to Podbean. It could be a paragraph. It could be two paragraphs. If I'm feeling particularly talkative, it could be several. Uh, This one was just one line. It was just one line, and it said, uh, It's X-Corp Day. Let's just push forward. So, uh, yeah, I did not care for that one either. X-Corp is one of the books that we've covered on this show that made me reconsider the uh, the all-in approach of X-Lapsed, you know. Uh, Fallen Angels was bad, right? Fallen Angels was not good, but it was, uh, I don't know, it felt a little breezier <laughs> than some of these later books. The Empire Cash-In was not good. I considered not completing that. Uh, X-Corp I considered dropping, and uh, X-Men Green I considered dropping. It was just, uh, it's one of those books. (laughs) But uh, in any event, I do want to thank you for your support on Patreon, Damien. It does mean a lot to me. Uh, Damien continues, Of course, I remain an X-Fan, and I always look for a way back in. And along came The Trial of Magneto and Inferno. I had to buy those two books, and when I read Inferno number 2 last month, I instantly thought, I can't wait to hear what Chris thinks of this. And here I am, no longer X-Lapsed lapsed, back in the fold experiencing the joy of X-Lapsed. Well, thank you. It's, it's, it's amazing to have you back, Damien. Thank you so much. Damien continues and thankfully clarifies some things for me about the issue in question. He says, Inferno is the best book, the, X, the best X-book Hickman has written in quite a while. It's also the most Hickman X-book. This means it hits where, it's, where he is strongest. We get a fantastic escalation of the mystery box of Hoxpox Docs and an actual mystery box, too. It also means that it misses where Hickman is weakest. It is a little too confusing, particularly the whole Sage bit. Now, if you've listened to that episode, you'll know that I was quite confused by the Sage scene in uh, Paris uh, in the middle of the book. I didn't know who was who, what was what. It was just kind of jumbled here, and and Damien will, uh, will make that a little bit clearer for us here. He says, I think we're meant to understand that Orcus are attempting to create their own gateways between the Orcus Forge and Earth. The AIM scientists, the monkeys, and horticultures are all working together on this. I think Professor X has overridden the security alert about Paris because of Mora going through the gate. We know that there's also a report from Tommy the Obscure in Paris last issue, and that is part of why Sage recommended sending in a team. I think Xavier doesn't know about the monkey scientists. Mystique discusses what Xavier is trying to hide with Destiny and disguises herself as Sage to investigate. 
I think her having to say the deactivation code twice is proof that, that it is Mystique and she was initially using her own voice. Of course, Mystique goes to Paris to investigate what Professor X is covering up and stumbles into Orcus. Is she going to think that Xavier's in cahoots with Orcus? Is this the thing that leads to the resurrection at the start of issue one? Maybe the Quiet Council will find X and Magneto guilty of treason for working with Orcus and they get put to death. Or maybe Mora will kill the two of them and Emma is resurrecting them without any of her knowledge. It could go so many ways. And that's totally true, and I think you helped to clear that up for me quite well. Uh, I looked at it again after uh, after reading this message, and yeah, uh, Mystique, or Sage, I guess, had to she had to say the deactivation code twice, which certainly is a very, very subtle way to tip us off that this isn't Sage doing it. Uh, a little too subtle for someone as dense as me, but uh, definitely a very clever way to uh, to deliver this information. Uh, Damien continues, I also feel like the fact that Krakoa is spying on everyone and that a triumvirate of Doug, Warlock, and the island seem to be working together must be leading to something. Is Karima What's-Her-Face some kind of child of Krakoa, Douglock, Bay? Huh. Her true nature seems to be part of this story. Is she there to help Orcus or to stop Nimrod? I have so many questions. Anyway, it's good to be back. Thanks again, Chris. Well, thank you for coming back, and uh, thank you for all that information there. You know, I didn't consider that... Uh, I mean, that was the big quote, right? At the On the mostly blank quote page to start issue two was something about the true nature of uh, Karima. And, you know, as a sort of a hybrid, you know, biological, technological character... Uh, there is certainly something to uh, to consider there in her being some sort of an offspring of uh, you know Douglock and Krakoa and perhaps even Bay. I mean that would certainly uh, provide a reason for Bay's existence in the first place. Which I mean there really hasn't been there really hasn't been much to that character other than giving us you know some funny hahas about Doug. So that could make a lot of sense. That could be very very interesting. And I'm down with that theory. I I like that a lot. So we will be keeping our eyes open for that. But uh, thank you so much, Damien, for writing in. I I hope to hear from you again soon. It's always wonderful to hear from you. Next up, we got Evan talking about It's Jeff. And he says, X-Men Unlimited is all well and good, but Jeff is the star. You may be on to something about the appeal to younger readers. My oldest knows and likes a lot of the characters, but she isn't a regular comics reader. I suggested she give the first installment of It's Jeff a try, and she read all 12 on Marvel Unlimited, only stopping when there were no more available. It's short and fun and looks great. And I had the same reaction as you when they flashed back to the pool scene. Jeff has continuity. And yeah, I mean, that is the magic of It's Jeff. We've talked about it a lot. It's basically <laughs> the, uh, the only good thing we say on um, Unlimited Day is we talk about It's Jeff here, and I try not to... Repeat myself, though I am a very repetitive person, to the point where me saying that I'm a repetitive person is getting repetitive. But I talked a lot about Jeff being a nice gateway to younger readers here. And, you know, it, 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 it's a story or a character or a concept that, that could appeal to all ages. You know, literally all ages. We, we hear about all ages comics, and Marvel tried the all-ages thing with like the Marvel Adventures and the superhero squads and stuff like that. But, I, I mean, I can only put myself into the shoes 
of a, of a young reader, of a new reader, of a potential reader. And I'd like to think that they would know the difference. You know, if they're reading a Marvel Adventures book, I think if it were me, I would know that this isn't the real stuff. You know, and I'd feel like as I was being talked down to or being given the G-rated version of, uh, of stories, like bastardized versions of classic stories. And I, I, I haven't read the Marvel Adventure stuff, you know. I'm not going to suggest that I have, so I really can't speak for the quality of those books. But if it were me, I think I would know that it's not the real stuff. Here with Jeff, it's something that fits in with the main Marvel continuity. It's something that is canon and does introduce a potential new reader to a whole slew of fun characters. You know, you have Miles and and Squirrel Girl and uh, Hawkeye Girl. I mean, it's characters that a young reader could maybe glom onto and want to know more about. If next May, whatever, whatever the next Pretend You Care About Comics free comic book day turns out to be next year, if Jeff isn't leading the charge on that then Marvel's doing it wrong, because It's Jeff should be the all-ages free comic book day offering, you know. DC is trying that by giving, like, excerpts of their young adult graphic novels, which, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I think they're awful. I have actually looked at some of them because there is some Teen Titan stuff, and it is not good. <laughs> but uh, if Marvel were to answer that with an It's Jeff bit, I, I think that could only that could only be a good thing. But thank you so much, Evan, for writing in about Jeff and also for sharing the magic of It's Jeff with your daughter. That is uh, that is super cool. Uh, next up, Andrew Franklin talking about Inferno to this point. He says, I've been enjoying Inferno, but the continuity of action between the X-Books is basically non-existent as I see it. Unless events are specifically mentioned in an issue, they might as well have not happened. It's like they exist in hypertime. And yeah, that's been... My primary complaint about Inferno to this point, it's a good story. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying all of the answers that we're getting and all the questions that are being raised. But it kind of does a disservice to the rest of the line in that who the hell knows what's happening when. You know, uh, it just so happened that this month, the episodes for Trial of Magneto and Inferno were back-to-back, which really, really emphasized how they're really not in service of one another. You know, we don't know when either are happening. I think we can assume that Inferno is happening afterwards. But, like I said, uh, with issue three of the Trial of Magneto, the Godzillas came, right? The Kaiju came and they were going to destroy the island. That's never been mentioned anywhere else, so we know it's not going to amount to anything. It kind of undercuts the urgency of the other books coming out. Not that there's really any urgency anyway. I mean, I've got a show called The Essential X-Lapsed. A lot of the current year stuff could go under the title The you know Unessential or Inessential X-Lapsed because these stories just happen. They're not referenced anywhere else. They may as well have not even happened, right? When we started Inferno number 1, over in Hellions, we had a cliffhanger where, you know, that whole place exploded. But yet we see Quinan right there, so we know she survived that. The uh, 24th issue of Marauders had the entire team shot into space, as we, re- you know, as we remembered last episode. Emma Frost was there, so we know she survived that. The other big event, Trial of Magneto. Magneto is front and center in Inferno, so we know uh, he's not in the hole. It's a, I mean, it's a good story, but playing ball with the rest of the line is not its top priority. Andrew continues. 
I haven't liked any of Hickman's books since Hoxpox, and I've enjoyed reading both Inferno issues. And I feel like that, and I, and I mean, I don't really talk to very many people about the X-Books other than our little X-Lapsed family here, but if I had to assume, I, I would guess that uh, a lot of people feel that same way. Um, I think Hickman's story got, and I have absolutely no insider knowledge, but I feel like his story got kind of usurped pretty early on. We've had a feeling of both directionlessness and being pulled in too many directions at once, and a whole lot of treading water ever since uh, the Dawn of X kicked off. And that was uh, part of the feedback I got early, early on in this show, if you've listened to the first uh, dozen or so episodes of the program. Uh, I would get feedback about how Hoxpox was great, but Dawn of X didn't deliver on, uh, on everything that we thought we were going to get. And I was uncharacteristically optimistic, and it's like, ah, we'll make the best of it. And here we are. You know, it uh, it really didn't deliver. I'm not mad that we read everything, but, uh, I mean, facts are facts. If you want to get the most out of this Hickman era, you read Hoxpox, you read maybe two or three issues of X-Men, and you read Inferno. Everything else can go by the wayside. At least that's my take after having read, you know, every single book that's come out uh, since, you know, House of X number one back in 2019. But that could just be me. But uh, thank you so much for writing in on Inferno there, Andrew. I'm certainly looking forward to hearing from other folks on Inferno as well. Uh, I want to know all of your hot takes, where you think we're going to be going after this, uh, how it's going to factor into whatever destiny of X is going to be, and the Exlato, Exlato, Wolverine deal, I mean... Well, I guess we'll get there when we get there, but I would love to hear your guys' hot takes at this point. But that's where we'll put a pin in the mailbag for today. It's nice to have letters again. (laughs) It really, really is. Uh, Let's hop into the shout-out department here, thanking folks who engaged with the posts on the social media sites. Starting on Twitter, I'd like to thank Andrew in Belfast, Jeremiah, Ed Moore, Dave Schultz, Joe Crawford, Walt Nealon, Mark Jagger, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Professor Allen, Longbox Diving, Longbox Crusade, and Jason Colby. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Joe Crawford, Andrew Franklin, Pat Sampson, Jeremiah, Walt Nealon, Billy D, and Evan Bevins. Then on Instagram, I want to thank Mark Jagger, X-Men Revisited, David Krim, Raphael, J.K., Antonio Dunn, Barrow Sue, Armand Juice, Sergio Rubio, and a couple of totally legit promo people. You know, when you have promo in your name in Instagram, it's uh, usually you're, you're fishing for something here. It's like, uh, to go off on a slight tangent, if you join a podcast support group on Facebook, you are almost guaranteed to be inundated with uh, direct messages from people promising to get you more listeners. And uh, if you're naive enough to actually reply to them... Um, they will, uh, they will take you for a ride <laughs> and uh, try to talk you out of your hard-earned money for very, very little in return. But uh, thank you to everybody who engaged, including you promo folks, because hopefully it uh, helped the, uh, the old algorithm a little bit. Over on Patreon, I want to thank our patrons. It's Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse D. Young, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast. As always, your support means the absolute world to me. Thank you all so, so much. 
I think that is where we'll leave it for today. If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, please feel free to do so. I, I invite and encourage you to do so. You can find me several different ways. On Twitter, you can find me at Ace Comics. On Instagram, at 90sXmen. You can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. For the complete audio archives, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. You can find that on all of your podcast aggregation things. And finally, the Patreon is patreon.com slash xlapsed for exclusive content, behind-the-scenes goodies, and much more. But that's where I'm going to button it for today. I would like to thank you all so much for allowing me to spend some time with you. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.